This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Kiesi. It's published in the Seminars in Perinatology. It's called Impact of Early Screening Echocardiography and Targeted PDA Treatment on Neonatal Outcomes in 22 to 23 Weeks and 24 to 26 Week Infants. The, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge paper, and I had to almost at some points r- scroll back up to the beginning of the paper to see if it wasn't a review paper because it was such a sweeping uh, summary of a lot of things that were being done. The first author is Regan uh, Gissinger from uh, Iowa, to whom we send our kindest regards. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the rest of the team from Iowa is on that paper. Last author is Patrick McNamara. Um, so if uh, Patrick is listening, hello to you as well. But I'm going to get into it because there's a lot to cover. I usually do a one-page summary of these papers, and this is like a, a two-pager. So uh, the background is 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 fairly straightforward, right? We know that there's wide variation in the approach to the management of PDA, both on the evaluation side, on the management side. They highlight the fact that about 60 randomized trials have failed to demonstrate improved um, outcomes with medical treatment. But we all know that each of these trials has significant methodological limitations, not because the authors were careless, but because it's just such a difficult subject to discuss. Um, Most trials have randomized few, if any, preterm infants born between 22 and 23 weeks. These are the babies that we are now actively resuscitating. These are the babies that are giving us probably the most trouble in terms of their complexity. We know that the PDA is associated with uh, long-term morbidities, especially BPD. And so they're saying that it's as it is biologically plausible, as suggested by a, a recent post-hoc analysis of a pilot randomized trial, that successful early elimination of hemodynamically significant PDA shunt may be associated with a reduced risk of BPD among extremely preterm neonates. And I think the, the, the question, the primary aim of the study is to evaluate the impact of early hemodynamically significant PDA management based on targeted neonatal echoes in extremely preterm infants born at 22 to 23 and 6 as compared to a historical epoch during which exclusively clinically symptomatic treatment after postnatal day 7 in the presence of uh, echo-confirmed PDA um, on the composite outcome of death uh, and at less than before 36 weeks or severe BPD. I think what's very interesting is that we know that Iowa is, the University of Iowa is probably one of the world's leader in their approach to um, extremely low birth weight infants, especially on the edges of viability at 22, 23 weeks. They're also pioneers in the, in the through their uh, hemodynamics program and their approach to hemodynamics evaluation. And so it's very interesting for them uh, and very generous of them to actually uh, do this study where they're looking at their current approach to the evaluation and management of PDA and comparing it to what they were doing in the past, which, as we'll see, s- sounds like what we are still most of us doing in our units. So the study design is that this is a cohort of neonates that were born before 27 weeks of gestation who were either inborn or admitted within 24 hours um, to their uh, to the University of Iowa and NICU. Uh, all neonates during the study periods were considered eligible unless they had major anomalies, congenital heart disease, 
obviously that doesn't include PDA. Let's okay, fine, fine. <laughs> uh, small VSDs or atrial defects. So, so we're talking about like structural, really st uh, large structural anomalies, um, or uh, resuscitation that was either incomplete or not provided. Now, patients were recruited in two distinct epochs. So they have the hemodynamic screening epoch, which is taking place from like. Uh, October 2018 to April 2022. And then they have a historical cohort, which goes from 2010 to 2017. Now, all patients were included if they were diagnosed with a hemodynamically significant PDA or if um, they died in the first postnatal week. Now, the inclusion of these babies who died in the first postnatal week in the historical epoch was to account for an unknown uh, hemodynamically significant PDA status, particularly among historical patients who routinely had echo on approximately postnatal day seven uh, due to the strong association of early mortality and the presence of a PDA on day three. So already you start seeing glimpses of how having a hemodynamics team can really help you get um, more information early on on these PDAs. Now, the hemodynamically significant PDA was defined based on the Iowa PDA score, and they had to have a PDA score of six or more. Now, the paper has tons of tables. It's amazing. So in this case, if you want a quick review of the Iowa PDA score, I know that Gabriel Altit on Neocardio Lab probably has it as well. But basically, it's a, um, it's a list of measurements. So we have about... I want to say six, seven. We have seven measurements, which I'm not going to get into. There are seven measurements from uh, that you can get on echocardiography. And based on the value that you're getting, you can either assign it a score of zero, one, or two. Um, and then you basically compute that and you get your PDA score. Now, this is also very valuable information because if you've reviewed the literature like we have, having standardized way of defining a hemodynamically significant PDA is something that's very difficult. They collected a ton of clinical variables. I'm not going to get into that. The duration of hemodynamically significant PDA was defined from the first echo demonstrating these findings until interventional closure or the first echo demonstrating a hemodynamic non-significance after which uh, no remanifestation occurred. If the first echo demonstrated a hemodynamically significant PDA, day zero was designated as the start of PDA exposure. Now, what I want to highlight in this part of the paper is that we can see that they're not just talking about the presence or absence of a PDA, right? It's really the presence of a hemodynamically significant PDA. I'm making a a concerted effort here to make sure that I don't just say PDA because if the PDA is not hemodynamically significant, then it's it's really neither here nor there. So I think that's that's already something that's very important in their in their approach. Well, and like you like I mean, like you've said and we've discussed before, what what is hemodynamically significant? So we have to pick something, right? So and it would be helpful if the if the community could just agree on something so that we could study it, right? And just think, like we said with BPD and just like we right. said with, yeah. And I think that's where that that's where it gets interesting is because we've always defined a hemodynamically significant PDA based on clinical findings, right? Whether you have hypotension, so on and so forth. But as you see in their PDA score, uh, the ductus diameter is only one of the parameters. All the other parameters are very uh, objective echo findings. The aortic to peripheral Doppler flow reversal, uh, the isovolumetric relaxation time, all these things um, 
I think are are showing another approach that's not always clinical because what permeates to the surface of clinical evaluation may not always be the most reliable. So what is the approach to the evaluation and management of hemodynamically significant PDA in the new epoch, in the hemodynamic screening epoch? So if you're interested in starting a hemodynamics program, man, read that paper. They outline everything. <laughs> I've taken screenshots of that paper left and right. So during the, uh, the hemodynamic screening epoch, all neonates undergo comprehensive uh, echo between 12 and 18 hours postnatal age, followed by physiology-guided therapy. Each echo consists of 80 to 110 clips and include a comprehensive appraisal of systemic and pulmonary hemodynamics, objective measurement of biventricular cardiac function, and characterization of shunts. They're done by neonatologists using warmed gel. That's something I was like, man, I never thought of warming the gel. What? That's a good idea. <laughs> of course it's a good idea. It's a great idea. I was like, man. You never said to the to our echo or ultrasound text, you're using the warm gel, right, on my very tiny baby here. You, you knew about that? Of course. You Clearly, see. you've never had an ultrasound done. That's exactly right. That's right. <laughs> and we wouldn't do ultrasounds on, say, pregnant people without warmed gels. We don't do that. So why would we do it to babies? Without yeah, my gel? wife in France didn't get the benefit of warm gel. <laughs> Okay, I guess we do do it sometimes, but we shouldn't, especially uh -huh, for right. most vulnerable babies. <laughs> um, and another interesting aspect was that the usual duration of these echoes were 20 minutes. And that's something that I've had an issue with. Sometimes when we want to order an echo, it's like, hey, don't don't spend 45 minutes because these babies are cannot probably cannot handle. So that's 20 right. minutes. The usual approach to a hemodynamic, hemodynamically significant PDA, this is going to kill me before the end of this review, um, was to administer acetaminophen. So first-line treatment is Tylenol. 15 mg per kilo, Q6, for three days IV. A further four days of therapy with acetaminophen is provided if response was demonstrated. So if you see that on the, on the follow-up echoes, there's improvement, you can continue that for another four uh, days. Indomethacin at 0.2 mg per kilo, followed by two doses of 0.1 mg per kilo at 12-hour intervals, was used as a second-line therapy. Other shunt modulation strategies, including avoidance of anemia with a transfusion threshold, uh, uh, with a defined transfusion threshold, avoidance of hypocapnemia, and tolerance of lower target saturation, were also commonly used. So, to give you a glimpse, we're not doing any of that, uh, Daphna and I. Like this is not our approach. But I'm wondering, like I think for us, right, Daphna? Correct me if I'm wrong. We don't have a protocolized PDA approach, but I think our first line is ibuprofen, which Correct. I think most people still use ibuprofen as a first line. So I was... Yes. And it's interesting considering the paper that Shovik wrote that we presented last time, how people were like, oh, I don't know about acetaminophen. Like, I'm, I was shocked to see that this is like first line treatment. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, all medical treatment was followed by a reappraisal within 24 hours at the end of therapy. Since 2019, percutaneous device closure in the pediatric cath lab has been the standard of care or surgical ligation has been was performed if contraindication to percutaneous closure were present. So when they did fail medical treatment and they decided to go forward with, 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 with closure, then that was done in the cath lab. Okay, so now, now that we all feel bad about ourselves, let's go back to the historical epoch and see how they used to manage these babies before the advent of uh, their hemodynamic program. So during the historical cohort, echocardiograms were performed by pediatric sonographers and interpreted by pediatric cardiologists. That's how we do it. <laughs> it was 
standard of care for some clinicians to perform an echo on postnatal day six or seven to screen for PDA, whereas others relied exclusively on the appearance of clinical signs of hemodynamic significance, as we spoke before. The first echo was a complete anatomic study of sufficient quality to rule out congenital heart disease. Thereafter, a focus study was typically performed to evaluate for ductal patency. Follow-up evaluations were performed at the request of the clinical team when signs of hemodynamically significance were judged to be present. They had no standardized echo definition of hemodynamic significance. Echocardiograms were routinely performed within 24 hours of the completion of a course of uh, therapy. The management of hemodynamically significant PDA in that historical cohort included up to three doses of indomethacin followed by surgical ligation if the ductus remained significant. So very, I mean, very different from what they're currently doing. Right. Um, In terms of standard neonatal care, I thought it was very important to mention this. The approach to care of extremely preterm infants include uh, active obstetric management with uh, antenatal steroids beginning at 21 and 5. That's something that we're advocating for as well. C-section for uh, fetal indications starting at 23 weeks, magnesium sulfate for IVH prophylaxis, standard latency uh, antibiotics for preterm prolonged rupture of membranes, and routine delayed cord clamping for 30 seconds. The approach to neonatal respiratory care includes the utilization of 2-0 endotracheal tubes as needed, first intention high-frequency jet ventilation. Surfactant prophylaxis at 24 weeks, no early extubations, um, universal caffeine administration, vitamin A prophylaxis, and midline positioning for the first 14 days. So, again, um, this is, yeah. So. I'd like to hear more about that. You know, I, I, obviously, we, we want to review more papers out of Iowa, obviously, right? We all want to know what they're doing. <laughs> but I'm al- Yeah. I'm already amazed that, I mean, I feel like I, I get to browse through their protocol. It feels like it's so detailed. It's mm-hmm. such a well-outlined, it's really, and it's sort of, to be very honest, I have never met Dr. Gissinger, but knowing Patrick uh, now for a bit of time, it's such in line with his generosity of like, right. yeah, like, like, yeah, we, we are happy to share. Sharing, with you. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, no, then I'll keep going then. Okay, so yeah. what, what were their outcomes? The primary outcome was a composite of death before 36 weeks or severe BPD defined by the Jensen criterias. Secondary outcomes included death and severe BPD as individual outcomes, survival free of morbidity, pulmonary hemorrhage, pneumothorax, um, PDA therapy, medical or interventional, intestinal complications, and retinopathy of prematurity treatment. Okay, so now let's get into the results. 189 infants were included in the 22 to 23 and 6 group. They had 73 in the hemodynamics screening group, 116 in the historical cohort. And then they had 312 infants included in the 24 to 26 and 6 group, 108 in the hemodynamic screening group, 204 in the historical cohort. So some pretty large numbers there. Um, Obviously, Okay, fine. I'm going to skip this. Doesn't matter. The babies who were born at 22 and th- 22 to 23 and six were um, in the historical cohort um, had lower birth weights significantly and were more likely to be female. But we'll 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 get to that in a second. So the first uh, areas of results is the influence of hemodynamic screening on hemodynamically significant PDA exposure. So 
in the in the most recent epoch, the first echo was conducted on postnatal day zero for all neonates in the 22 to 23 and 6 cohort, as compared to a median of day seven in the historical cohort. I think that's 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 something that yeah. I, I, right after now, we never get an echo on day zero. Um, this is a luxury that uh, a luxury that currently we do not have. But it is in line with what we learned about uh, in Japanese units, right? That is that the is exactly conference. That's that's exactly right. And then listen to this: the use of vasopressors in the first postnatal week was lower in mm-hmm. the in the in the once the hemodynamics team was screening these babies and restricted to the group of patients who had an earlier pre-screening echo, all of whom had either sepsis or perinatal hypoxic ischemic injury. And this makes sense, right? So I know. we treat yeah. all hypotension, we just throw on the pressors, and you don't even know which presser to use. But by using, you know, targeted echo, you can say like, what's the problem and how mm-hmm. can I fix it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think and obviously this will show an improvement in outcomes because we're using the right tool for the right problem. You know? And the presser may not be the right approach. Like you could, and you could regardless, right. You could titrate right, right. fluids and make That's it. Right. That's right. That's right. The rate of medical therapy for PDA was higher too. In the uh, hemodynamic screening epoch, the rate of interventional closure was 33% compared to 47% in the historical cohort. There was no difference in the rate of hypocapnemia, major fluctuation in CO2 in the first 24 hours, or the incidence of thrombocytopenia. Now, looking at the, the more mature group, the 24 to 26 and 6, there was a reduced need for indomethacin and a, redu- and a reduction in interventional closure by approximately 50%. That's wow. nice. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, Clearly, those more mature babies are benefiting tremendously from this this sort of close follow up. Um, yeah, what is the effect of acetaminophen therapy uh, on the duct in the hemodynamics screening cohort? So, of the sixty four patients born at twenty two to twenty three weeks who received medical therapy, fifty percent responded with resolution of the hemodynamic significance. Right. Listen carefully to what I, I, I quoted from the paper. 50% had resolution of the hemodynamic significance, meaning it doesn't really tell you whether the PDA fully closed or not, but all the parameters that they used to define significance were uh, abated. 63% re-manifested, remanifested later and therefore required second-line therapy. Now, in the more mature group, in the 24 to 26 and 6 group, 70% had a positive response with resolution of hemodynamic significance, with only 44% this time who remanifested and then needed more treatment. So um, a uh, higher uh, response and also less uh, relapse. Um, there's, however, no difference in either acetaminophen response or PDA recurrence between the gestational age subgroups. Now, in comparison to the historical epoch in which 85% of uh, the infants born between 22 and 23 weeks and 71% of the kids in the 24 to 26 weeks had a hemodynamically significant PDA at day 7. In the hemodynamic screening epoch, only 53% and 41% respectively continue to have hemodynamically significant PDA at a similar time point. So what we're trying to show here is 
um, because the historical cohort usually didn't get screened until like day seven, they said, all right, let's look at day seven. And they said in the uh, historical cohort, about like 85% and 71% of the kids had a hemodynamically significant PDA day seven. But thanks to the hemodynamics team that they had implemented uh, in the new epoch, they were able to get these numbers down from 85% to 53% and from 71% in the 24-26 group to 41%. So they were already well ahead by day seven compared to the older, the, uh, older cohort. What is the impact of hemodynamic screening on acute illness severity? Well, the echocardiography findings included um, acute pulmonary hypertension alone in one case, acute pulmonary hypertension um, with uh, right ventricular dysfunction in seven cases, biventricular dysfunction in three cases, hemodynamic significant obviously in six cases, transitional circulation in one case, and vasodilator shock in two cases. Treatment was prescribed based on physiology. And physiologic-guided therapy was associated with a lower rate of nitric oxide use, lower respiratory requirements, fewer sodium bicarbonate boluses, and the SNAP2 score was also lower in the hemodynamic screening epoch. Hydrocortisone use in the first week was frequent, but similar in both epoch, uh, specifically in the 22 and 23-week infants, whereas in the older cohort, the administration of hydrocortisone was more frequent in the hemodynamic screening epoch uh, than compared to the control. So interestingly, while the hemodynamic screening has helped reduce a lot of the use of various medication, the use of hydrocortisone um, remained more frequent in the 24 to 26 in the 24 week patients uh, in the in the new epoch. A few more results and then we can conclude on this paper. What is the impact of hemodynamic screening on neonatal morbidities? Sort of what we were sort of aiming to test to begin with. There's a 50% reduction in the primary composite outcome of death before 36 weeks or grade 3 BPD in the 22 to 23 and 6 week patients. I mean 50% Show me a pay. I mean, these are these are the the problem with this paper is that the findings up until this point have been so incredible that you're sort of almost jaded by this point. But I mean, that's right. I mean, I I had to reread this several times, and I actually, <laughs> truth be told, I was reading it on a PDF, so I went back to the website and looked at the full text in the browser to make sure that it was not a typo, because <laughs> <laughs> I was like fifty percent, man, yeah, fifty like percent. This was accompanied by an increase in survival free of severe morbidity to 73% and the reduction of a variety of other important neonatal outcomes. Of note, the reduction in the rate of severe, um, there were reductions in uh, the rates of severe IVH and NEC in both subgroup. Um, last few things in the hemodynamic screening epoch, uh, fewer of the 22 and 3 infants died. In addition, death occurred at an older median age and was less likely in the first, in the first postnatal week, which to be honest with you is when, I mean, when these babies mm -hmm. pass away, they very frequently die in the first, the first week. Um, there were no cases of pulmonary hemorrhage, uh, a non-significant but relevant trend of an already very low rate. If you look at their numbers, they were quite low to begin with. So could they, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of that. Uh, in terms of uh, multivariate model, after adjustment for co-founders in the 22 and 23 week cohort, year of birth and the hemodynamic screening era, they were both the year of birth and the hemodynamic screening era were independently associated with survival without severe BPD. After adjustment for both the screening the hemodynamic screening and the year of birth only 
hemodynamic screening predicted a higher likelihood of survival from severe BPD with an odds ratio of 5.1. The conclusion is that among neonates born between 22 and 23 weeks, an early hemodynamic screening PDA diagnosis and physiology physiology targeted treatment was associated with the reduced risk of the composite primary outcome of death before 36 weeks or severe BPD as compared to a historical cohort of patients. These extremely immature neonates may present with a variety of cardiovascular pathologies in the first 24 hours, of which hemodynamically significant PDA is one of the most frequent given the extreme paucity of literature on hemodynamically significant PDA in the, in the less than 24 weeks gestation population. It is important that developmental and physiological first principles are considered, These, which I think this paper just outlines very clearly. These neonates may be particularly disadvantaged due to extreme immaturity, thus magnifying the impact of shunt physiology on mm-hmm. pulmonary and other systemic outcomes. It is important for readers to recognize that effects seen in our center may not be easily generalizable to other centers. Further study in this population is warranted and will be increasingly possible as these extremely preterm infants are more widely resuscitated. I don't, uh, I kind of agree with that last statement. I also think that as soon as another center reproduces these outcomes, that's it. Then the race is on because um, they're not, I think the only obstacle for people to reproduce these results are for Iowa to be very opaque about what they do, which they are Mm -hmm. not. And so I think somebody is going to implement some of these um, interventions in their center. They're going to find similar outcomes, I hope for them. And then everybody is going to be looking to, uh, to do that. So Okay. I told you it was going to be a long one, but what a paper. Yeah. Very important. Uh, I mean, I think it really underscores the use of point of care ultrasound, right? So, I mean, that's really was my major takeaway, right? Yeah. And delineating in particular the causes of hypotension in neonates, I think, or this, like they say, the shunting physiology. We all say, oh, it's the PDA, but there can be so many things. So- very interesting. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care professional. Thank you.